So a few weeks ago, we started a new series on the gospel of the kingdom. And we've been looking at the importance of foundations uh, and doctrine in our lives. And that namely is the foundation and truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've seen quite a few things, and I won't summarize all of it, but I'll just pick out a few high points. For example, the, the gospel is not something that we do. The gospel is something that's been done for us. It is the good news of what Jesus did in dying for our sins and giving us a pathway towards the Father, to the Father, salvation. And we've also seen that the gospel is richly complex. It is one gospel, but communicated in a variety of ways. That it's complex, profound enough to explore for a lifetime, yet simple enough to tell a child. As the the adage that I said last week, it is shallow enough for a child to wade in its waters and deep enough for an elephant to swim. The gospel is so profound, and at its core, it is good news. It is the news that Jesus came to save sinners. God came to save sinners. It's my premise as we look into this study, and we'll do, be doing that this week and next before I'll be gone for a few weeks. Um, and by the way, uh, most of you know Brother Yao. Uh, Yao is back in the country. I spoke with him on Friday, and he will probably be with us in some times over the next couple of months. Uh, so that's exciting. But after two weeks that I'm gone, we'll go into the Advent season, and after Uh, the Advent season will return to this look at the gospel. Uh, But we have to understand, and this is my premise, that the gospel is something we have to continually tend to. Because while we are saved by grace, and most of us have had that hammered into our head and understand we can't earn it, a lot of times once we come to faith, we start thinking now we can earn it. And the gospel says it is always his gift. The power to to not only save us, but to transform us is in his gospel. That's why Martin Luther wrote this, and I quoted it before, that the truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary is it that we know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. And so that's been my marching orders. I'm going to beat it into our heads continually. And it needs to be continually returned to, beat into our heads. Now, I want to be totally upfront with you that I have been deeply impacted by Tim Keller's book, Shaped by the Gospel. Here's what it looks like. And I give him all the credit for much of what I've had to say in this series already, especially these early messages on the doctrine or the truth of the gospel. Um, I highly recommend this book, and I'm putting it down there for you because it's not that expensive, and I think that you would greatly benefit from reading uh, Keller's work. In it, Keller quotes a New Testament scholar from Oxford named Simon Gathercole, love that name, Gathercole, who offers a three-point outline 
that unites the gospel of salvation that was preached by Paul and the gospel of the kingdom as articulated by Jesus in the Synoptic Gospels. Now, we talked about that last week and how those are not two different gospels. They are the same. And Mr. Or Dr. Gather Cole, he actually merges the understanding of that in this three-point outline. He says, first, the Son of God emptied himself and came into the world becoming a servant. Secondly, Jesus died on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice. And finally, Jesus rose from the grave as first fruits of a whole new, excuse me, a whole renewed world. Each of these truths show the implications of the gospel that they are endless. Um, and that they really do change everything about how we live and our motivations in life and where we give ourselves. His first point uh, is that the Son of God emptied himself and came into the world becoming a servant. And it speaks of the incarnation, right? The incarnation, that what we would call maybe an upside-down nature of the gospel, which is one of the gospel realities that is most antithetical to the world system. This upside-down nature that God would come down because there was no way for us to go up. It took him coming down. When speaking about the narrow door that leads to salvation and, and those that would be saved, Jesus said a very interesting thing. To all these people that were gathered around, many of which that thought that they had earned salvation, that they would be okay on the day of judgment. And Jesus said this to them, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. He is, he is throwing something into the face of our of our modern understanding of what the world system says. You see, the world says, we have to achieve, we have to accomplish, we have to have ambition, we have to have power, we have to grab what is ours, we have to have status. But Jesus, he begs to differ. Jesus said his kingdom is a different kind of kingdom. He said in his kingdom, the poor in spirit and the persecuted and those who mourn, they actually went out over the self-made and the self-protected and the self-contained. He wasn't talking about a social gospel or trying to level the playing field. He was talking about how his gospel changes everything because it's an upside-down incarnational gospel. This upside-down nature of the gospel comes from the top down, and Keller wrote this about it. He said, Jesus emptied himself of glory. Though he was rich, he became poor. And though he was a king, he served. And though he was the greatest, he made himself the servant of all. He triumphed over sin, not by taking up power, but by sacrificial service, he won through losing everything. What a picture of the gospel and the incarnation. His incarnation has not only 
helped us because he came near to us. It has actually created in us a whole new culture that we are to live in. His incarnation creates a, a whole new kind of servant community, a people that no longer live for themselves, but actually empty themselves, that deny themselves, that prefer others, that pick up their cross, deny themselves, and follow Jesus into this selfless, self-sacrificing life. Jesus was not only incarnational, he requires of those who follow him to empty themselves and to associate themselves closely with those that they are called to reach. Now, there is only one incarnation that has the power that was in Christ Jesus, but God calls each of us to live incarnationally, where we embody those that God has called us to minister to. We know this because Paul tells us in Philippians that we are to have the same mind that Christ did, right? That we're to have this, this mind like Christ did, who though he was God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped or clung to, but rather he emptied himself. This is God, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. He didn't have to do any of that, but he did. He emptied himself. He became a servant. He became a man, and he, he even humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death. He walked obedience all the way to the point that he died on the cross a death that was humiliating, especially for his day. Now, this understanding is really, it's something the world just can't grasp. It is totally antithetical to what the world holds up as the standard. And his upside-down kingdom, it offers us an upside-down gospel. When we're changed by his sacrificial life that he came, we start looking for how we can sacrifice to give life to others. Not that our sacrifice is what will save them, but it could be the catalyst, it could be the thing that opens their eyes to his sacrifice that will. It's not going to be effective if we just announce this good news from a high morality or a platform of superiority. It's going to require us to come close enough for their defenses to be dropped and for them to see that that is accessible for them just like it was for us. It has to be from an upside down, humble position where we as beggars tell other beggars where to find bread. The second part of of Gather Cole's uh, outline was that Jesus died on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice. Big theological words. What that is just saying in a theological basis is something we call the atonement. The atonement. Or you could just say it's the inside out reality of the gospel. It's not only an upside down reality, the gospel, it's also an inside out reality of the gospel. Unlike the gospel, 
every religion that's out there, including a lot of people who claim to be Christians. They stress personal righteousness and they stress merit-based attainment in order to prove spiritual acceptability. That you have to earn something, that you have to prove something, that you have to be willing to adhere to something in order to be accepted by whatever religion is saying you need to be accepted by, a God of some sort, or sometimes even the one they call the God of the Bible. Even the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they focused this way on outward performance versus inward regenerated hearts. They, they saw to it that they not only lived up to every little detail of their rules and regulations, but they demanded you do as well. And if you didn't, you were the outcast, you were the sinner, you were the one not worthy to be in their presence. Jesus addressed these throughout the gospels, like this one address in, the, in Luke 11. He, he addressed this one Pharisee, Luke eleven thirty seven. 37, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. And the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Now, we're not talking about COVID hand washing here, okay? I know that that's alarming to some people, you know, I go into the bathroom now and I wash my hands and I count 25 seconds because I'm feeling like people are going to judge me if I don't. You know what I'm saying, right? You've seen those that don't wash and we're like, "Mm mm-hmm, COVID is because of you. No, we don't say that. But this is not that kind of washing. This is a ceremonial religious rule washing. This was something mandated by their regulations to adhere to the Mosaic law. Even though it's not all exactly what God had said, it's things they had added to the law. And he was astonished that Jesus didn't keep the rules. He didn't follow the regulations. 39, and the Lord Jesus said to him, Now, you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. I don't know if you can understand the dynamic of what's happening here. This is a religious leader that is held in high esteem in their culture. He is powerful. He is influential. He is wealthy. He has the ability to make your life miserable. And Jesus just called him out for living a hypocritical life of trying to keep rules on the outside, washing the exterior, making everybody think you're really good and righteous, but inside you're greedy and you're wicked. And Jesus said, you're a fool. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms because they were good at giving alms. Do what you would have done on the outside, those things that are within, Jesus said. And behold, everything is clean for you. Traditional religion teaches that if you follow all the rules and appear righteous on the outside, that your performance will earn you salvation. In other words, if I obey God, he will love and accept me. But that is not the gospel. Let me say it again. That is not the gospel. 
The gospel is not you keep the rules and then you earn his salvation. The gospel is the direct opposite. He saves you and then empowers you to keep the rules. It makes all the difference as to where you start. You start the wrong place, you end up the wrong place. But if you start in the grace of God, that salvation is a free gift, that it is by grace through faith, that it is not something we earn, but when we receive it, then all of a sudden we are transformed continually, day after day, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, understanding that we can now obey him because he loved and saved us. Brennan Manning was a Franciscan priest who also struggled with his own weaknesses in a mag, well, in a, in a very challenging way. But he understood the true gospel and he was a writer that impacted so many people. He wrote books like this one, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Good news for the bedraggled, beat up, and burnt out. I love that. Anybody here feel burnt out, bedraggled, or beat up? I see that hand. Every head out, bowed, every eye closed. Now I see lots of hands. He said in that book, don't think I'm a saint. I'm a ragamuffin. You're a ragamuffin. And God loves us anyway. He also said this. The sinners to whom Jesus directed his messianic ministry were not those who skipped morning devotions or Sunday church. His ministry was to those whom society considered real sinners. They had done nothing to merit salvation, yet they opened themselves to the gift that was offered them. On the other hand, the self-righteous placed their trust in the works of the law and closed their hearts to the message of grace. Religion is always a burden, and it's always outside in. But the gospel is always freeing, and it is always inside out. The atonement that Jesus would love us and justify us by grace alone, not by our works, the sacrifice that he made for us that we could be made right with God the Father and make us beautiful in his sight. It's not because of what we've done or what we will do. It's all because of what he did. Gather Cole's third point is that Jesus rose from the grave as first fruits of a whole renewed world, which points to the forward back aspect of the gospel. So you have the upside down aspect of the incarnation that is the fullness of the gospel. You have the inside out aspect, which is the atonement, which understands we're made right with God. And then you have the forward back, the the kingdom now and yet not still complete aspect of the gospel. You see, while Jesus inaugurated his kingdom when he showed up and validated it with his own resurrection, it's not fully present. And you and I, we find ourselves 
in the midst of its rollout. It's still being rolled out. It's, uh, we're in the middle of the story. You see, sometimes I, I hear people say, I would have loved to have lived in the times of the Bible. You are. <laughs> Newsflash, you're right in the middle of it. Amen. It's still ongoing. The unveiling of his kingdom is a, you could call it a two-phase unveiling. We know that he showed up the first time as the incarnated Christ, and he humbled himself, and he became a servant. And at that moment, he walked to the cross, and he hung there and died for our sins. And in that moment, he unveiled victory over the power of sin in our lives. He defeated sin at that moment. It no longer has power over us. Now, I know we're struggling with it, and I realize that we have temptations, and I realize sanctification is still ongoing, but it has no power over us. You're not made for that. You're made for who Christ made you to be with him. And so, he inaugurates it in that first coming, but he's coming back. He's coming back to finish what he started. And we're in the middle of the rollout. We're in the middle of what is happening here. That it is a forward back moment. What will come, we're beginning to understand more fully as we live towards him. He's coming back to complete what he started. Putting an end to this present darkness and bring in a whole new creation. The Bible calls it a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And all that was broken will be healed. And every tear that was shed will be wiped away. And every sickness that has been experienced will be gone and you will be whole. And all that has been oppressing you, you will be free from it. There will be no more tears and no more sorrow and no more sadness and no more that we fail with today. He is coming back. The story's not over. As followers of Jesus, we are living in light of this future reality. It impacts us today. And it's our mission to bring this gospel, this good news to everyone we meet. Because who wouldn't want to be in on that? We have a responsibility. He left us here with a job. And it's not what you go to from 8 to 5 on Monday through Friday. That may be where your mission field is. That may be how you put food on the table. But he's in charge of all that too. Your job is to share the gospel. To go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person. Making disciples of all nations. To be his witnesses we have to do a better job of what he's called us to do. It's our mission to bring this gospel, to help the poor, to minister to the orphan and to the widow, to seek the welfare of our city, to want flourishing for our community, to love our neighbors and our enemies, and to act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. So, the gospel changes everything. And it's continually changing everything. And we must understand that the gospel changes it, changes us, 
And when we do, we will see the difference that it makes in our lives and those around us because of the upside down, incarnational aspect of the gospel. We not only realize that Jesus put on flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood, which he did, but we are also called to radically associate with those that are around us because he's called us to incarnate life and bring it to them. And because of the inside out atoning work of the gospel, we need to understand that not only did Jesus come and die in our place and save us from our sins, but we have to also commit ourselves to sharing that good news with everyone we meet. And lastly, because of that forward, back, already but not yet aspect of the gospel, we must join him in his mission. We have work yet to do. We must be about the Father's business. We must seek the welfare of our city. And we must represent him to everyone we come in contact with. May Jesus himself in our church community and in the church of America and in the church around the world, may he continually change us with his gospel. May he not only transform us on the moment that we come into the kingdom of light from the kingdom of darkness, but may he continually transform us more fully into his willing servants in this world today. May he help us live in the gospel truth, cultivating a gospel culture and leading us into gospel interactions and gospel conversations with all those that we meet. May this be true of us today and even more of true of us tomorrow. Amen. Donna's gonna come. We're going to pray for you and has been our tradition over the last 18, 20 months or so. I said to our conference that we had recently that I always get a little jealous of Donna because I work for days getting a message together and she sits down there and God just loves her more than he loves me. <laughs> but then someone said, well, he did give her to you. And I thought, true, I guess he does love me more. But anyway, <laughs> what she shares is designed... Uh, to help you see that uh, we work together in this. And if you're married, not that everyone is called to be married, but if you are called to be married, your marriage should be working in a complementarian way. And you should be able to work with each other and hear the Lord together and walk into it. So this is by design, but I'm grateful that the Lord blesses us. Okay, how's that for a setup? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I want to read um, a portion of scripture out of Timothy 6 in the message. Pursue a righteous life, a life of wonder, faith, love, steadiness, courtesy. Run hard and fast in the faith. Seize the eternal life, the life you were called to, the life you so fervently embraced at salvation. Keep this command to the letter and don't slack off. We've talked about the fact that Chris's messages, particularly this year, have been recalibrating. They've been a chance to say, what's in my tent? 
what do I need to get rid of? What do I need to continue with? But here in the message, he says, keep doing all of these things and don't slack off. Right. I'm a slacker. <laughs> I want to sit down. Um, so don't slack off. Our master, Jesus Christ, is on the way. He'll show up right on time. His arrival is guaranteed by the blessed and undisputed ruler, God. He's the only one death can't touch. His light so bright that no one can get close. Honor to him and eternal rule. Yes. I feel like what Chris was sharing today about the power of the gospel that runs through the whole plan of God, that it's about Jesus coming in the first place, it's about salvation, that trading of our sin and unrighteousness for his glory and righteousness, and then the reality that he put eternity in our hearts to guarantee that everything Chris talked about today is real and it will happen. Yeah. And it doesn't matter where we are on our journey because where we are today doesn't change what he's already said is going to happen then. The eternity in our hearts is a guarantee. There's so little in life that is guaranteed anymore. People's words don't mean anything. But God's word always means something. And the power to live the gospel today comes from how much you really believe that eternity is in your heart. So I want to pray for us today that, that we run and don't slack off. <laughs> that we live the gospel we say we believe. And that we believe it in a way that makes it obvious that eternity is in our hearts. That's really good. Father, thank you. Thank you for words of life. Even when you bring conviction, Lord, it's full of hope and future and courage and confidence. And so we hear what you're saying and we acknowledge that you are everything. Yes, you are. The reason the gospel changes everything is because you're in it all from start to finish and the finish is guaranteed. Mm. So, Father, we recommit ourselves to running, running and, and, and fighting the good fight of faith. We don't want to slack off. We don't want to sit down. We don't want to fail to live the abundant life so that it's attractive to people who are thirsty and dying. We want to live the real gospel. We want it to penetrate our being to beat it into our heads, as Chris said. We want you to write it on our hearts, Lord. Write it in whatever means you bring to bear. We will receive it because we want to give it and we want to live it so that everyone who's lost can find hope, can find help, can find the life of the Spirit that changes everything. Yes. We thank you, Jesus.
for the power of the gospel. It's the power of God to transform us, to transfer us, to propel us into the things of God. And even as I think about these three aspects of your gospel, the upside down incarnational aspect, the inside out atoning work, the forward back seen and yet not quite fully revealed aspect of the gospel. When I think of those things, I see all that you have done. And yet I also hear that there, is thing, there are things for us yet to do. You've called us to join you in this work, this kingdom work of declaring your good news, what has been done on our behalf to all the world around us. So we submit ourselves to you today. And I pray for anyone sitting here today that is not in the kingdom of God, that has not accepted you, that is not born again, that has been around the surface, around the perimeter, but never fully immerse themselves into the things of God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work that you would, that you would resolve any doubt, that you would cause an open door and that you would cause faith to rise, to accept you at your word and to trust you with their life. And I pray for those of us that are in Christ that need your gospel continually beat into our head. Help us, Lord, to walk in that reality, in the gospel truth, but also in the culture that leads to gospel conversations with others. I pray for those that have friends and coworkers and neighbors and classmates that maybe you've even spoken to them about praying for those people. Maybe you've put those people in their heart. If you haven't, Lord, put someone in our heart. Give us the one that we can focus on, that we can pray for earnestly, that we can look for what you're doing in their life. And then, yes, gently, but also assertively come into that with you, joining you in what you're doing. And I pray, Lord, that we would see conversions to Christ Jesus. I pray that you would give your people once again a renewal in our own hearts and a renewal across this land. I pray, Lord, that you would take our feeble, weak, little attempts to obey you and that you would bless them and that they would be fruitful and it would multiply. We submit ourselves to you as a community of believers, as a spiritual family, and ask that you will use us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.